0: Welcome to 5th Wall's Fly on the Wall podcast, where we explore the shifts occurring in real estate, technology, and society that are driving our cities towards a more equitable, green, and tech-enabled future. I'm your host, Brendan Wallace. In today's episode, I catch up with Nima Gamsari, the CEO and co-founder of Fifth Wall Portfolio Company Blend, a digital lending platform for streamlining mortgages, consumer loans, and deposit account openings. Nima explains the process of manufacturing a mortgage and how the ability to digitally store data around income, employment history, and credit has changed the process. Enjoy the conversation. Nima, thank you so much for joining. Um, Where are you uh, dialing in from today? Uh, I am dialing in from just north of San Francisco. Nice. I, I'm in Park City, so okay. we're, both, we're both not in our normal locales. Um, can you just give people your background and just like what you were doing up until starting when?
1: Sure, yeah. So um, I was a computer science graduate from college. Uh, I also, during college, was a professional poker player. When I graduated, I was like, I want to go and build, build things. And so I ended up joining a tech company, Palantir. Uh, many of our customers. It was 2008. Many of our customers were at Palantir were financial services companies, and, and that's what I was brought in to work on with that team. And then quickly, the the crisis, the real estate crisis hit, the mortgage crisis hit, and so we were kind of um, brought knee deep into the mortgage industry at the time, which gave me a real understanding of how much opportunity there was for positive impact with with technology. As a technologist, I looked at that and I was like, wow, somebody needs to go and build modern tech for this industry um, from the ground up.
0: And you know, the, the experience of how you built blend feels somewhat atypical of how many companies start. Um, and I remember kind of hearing the story as we were investing. It, it almost felt like you came together to solve a problem, but actually honing in on what that problem was was somewhat iterative for your team. And I'm curious if you can just walk people through what that was like, how you gestated this idea.
1: Sure. Yeah, we we were a team that had worked together on this on this mortgage problem at the at you know just generally understanding the in the mortgage industry, I should say, when we're at Palantir, and we had a general sense to your point that like this industry was really uh, was on on a lot of lot of legacy technology that needed to be at least looked at and said like how do we either integrate these things better, how do we build better versions of it? I think what we didn't know to your point was how much uh, what the solution would be and how much opportunity there was in adjacent area. So on, on the opportunity, I think one mistake we made early on candidly was we, at first we tried to go way too big and way too broad. And we said, we're going to build a super generic platform that can be used for mortgage, but also can be used for any industry for really any problem. And that's really great. I think founders should think big and, and, and like, I want, I don't want to ever make a founder think smaller than they could because, you know, part of being a founder is, is figuring out how big of an impact you could have in the world but what it did for us, is it, it stretched us really thin. And so when we finally focused in on the mortgage industry and then we started iterating and that, that iteration was done with lots of uh, discussions with customers, lots of discussions with um, prospects, lots of discussions with potential different ways we could solve certain things with consumers around the mortgage process. If you've ever gotten a mortgage as a consumer, you realize that there are problems. You obviously don't know all the solutions because the techno- bringing together all the technology capabilities in a way that consumers can 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 grok it is, is not a trivial task, but there's the, the problems were pretty um, were pretty common. But but that was something that we we spent a lot of time on. It took us maybe I would say like I didn't feel like we had product market fit until at least two years in, and we weren't even really focused on just the mortgage. In, I don't say just the mortgage. The mortgage industry is huge. We weren't right. even focused on just the mortgage industry until one year in, and so in some ways I you know I regret that, but in other ways I think that was just part of the journey of getting to where we are today.
0: And I've I've got. More, yeah. And it is, you know, it was probably the worst product I've ever bought in my life. The, the whole process just felt like yeah, the only thing different about it versus like what I imagined it was like in the 80s was email, right? But every other facet of it seems anachronistic. And I'm, I think a lot of people don't know what goes into manufacturing mortgage. Like, what is that process like? Getting a lead, right? Saying you're, in the, you're interested in buying a house, you want a mortgage on it to actually getting the loan, right, to the seller. Can you walk people through at a high level what that production process looks like? I'll talk a little about what it takes to manufacture a mortgage and why the world has different
1: infrastructures today that allows us to manufacture mortgages 10 times better than the way it's been done now with modern technology. Um, so in order to, under, to underwrite a mortgage, you need to underwrite the consumer's income, how much money they make, where they're employed, have they been employed long enough? And there's investor guidelines for all this. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac set the ultimate standards for the industry, and then others have their own variations on that. But the income, the employment, um, the credit history, the amount of assets that the consumer has, for things like down payment and, and reserves to pay monthly payments for a few months after the loan is closed. Um, and then you also have to uh, uh, underwrite the value of the collateral and the condition of the collateral, and that the collateral is actually owned by the, by the person who's, who's selling it or refinancing it. Um, and so that would be, you know, the title process. And so there's a lot of things that have to happen to get a mortgage done. And that means like the things that I just mentioned, the income and employment is one vendor, one third party that's, that's fairly, you know, you know could be fairly analog depending on how you do it. The, the assets like typically uploaded via bank statements historically. Um, the credit history, actually fairly modern credit histories are, are things that are fairly, you can pull digitally now and could, could have done that for a long time. Um, the collateral, the appraisal process, you know, you know better than anybody else, like the appraisal process is, is one that's very, very manual, requires a lot of human human labor, the inspection process on the home, similar thing. Um, and then of course the title process, also a very manual, almost county by county differential process. And so all of that stuff has been done roughly in the same way for a long time. And a lot of innovation is coming to the space now. There's so many real estate fintech companies and and broader fintech companies that are coming in and saying we can do this part of the process better, whether it's income verification, or employment verification or title or appraisal. Uh, And, and for us, I think what, what the lenders need, and this is where we come in is two things. One, do this via, do each of these processes via uh, data instead of documents so that they can be automated. And the data sources around income, around employment, around assets, around even things like title and property value, they're becoming more and more, it's more and more possible to have those things be done via data instead of documents and, and also subscribe, you know, push those things digitally back, like to some counties accept digital recording of title, for example, now.
0: And when you um, say so do it data, just yeah. on that, when you say done with data, you mean the information is captured digitally, stored digitally, rendered digitally to whoever needs to use it. Is that, what, is that right? Yeah, and actually, I would even take it one further. So let's take uh, bank statements as an example.
1: Um, this is a really simple one because everybody's seen their bank statement, but it turns out that You can either give your bank statement to the bank to then underwrite you for the mortgage, or you can just connect this directly with your bank and we'll pull your transaction history as a data format. And then not only will we do that, but we'll intelligently flag all the transactions that the bank needs to review because they do need to review to make sure that you're not getting any undue gifts or the income matches up. There's certain things they have to review, but that can all be done via systems now. And so not only can we get the data digitally, but we can also evaluate the data as it stands and from source of truth so that you as the lender now don't have to do as much work on that file um, so, so they asked us to do that with the data into the documents and the other things that the, the, the banks really look at us to do is how do you make this process of all the components i just mentioned come together in one simple platform for the consumer because if you have to go to five different sources for five different things the consumer means that they're getting a call from um, their employer saying hey is this employment verification i'm doing for you okay they need to go find their bank statements from their bank portal and do that. They have to get their credit pull and they get a credit notice via you know, credit karma or whatever. And so it ends up being this thing where now that the, the bank is going to a bunch of different systems, the consumer is getting a bunch of different pings, and then it comes to actually closing the loan. It's a completely different party. It's a title settlement agent. And so how do we make this a streamlined, simple end-to-end process from what is a pretty complex space? And I think that's, that's the magic now that, that is possible because there's so many technology companies innovating in the space when ties a lot of them together. We also build some of those components ourselves and we do it via data instead of documents.
0: And how do you, when, when you think about just aggregating and digitizing so much of those disparate data streams, right? Or the, these processes that used to be analog, how you capture and review the data. How do you measure success in that? Is, that? is that production time? Is that cost to produce? Is that consumer delight? Like, how do you think about what success means? and How do you know that you're getting better at making the process better?
1: Well, I think, you know, Blend is a very customer focused company and all of our customer, the first true north for them is their customer happiness. Like they're also very customer focused. And so customer success, consumer success and consumer NPS is something that promoter score is something that we track and we have to track because that is the true north. Like, if we can't serve consumers in a way that delights them in a very complex process, then we failed no matter how much we move the other metrics and how much we move the needle on those things. The other thing though, to your point is efficiency. And so like when I, it's hard, this is actually a really hard thing to track because the amount of the industry is very, is extremely variable in terms of the people where there's high season and there's low season. And so they need to bring more people on during high season, have fewer people during low season. And what we basically track with our customers is how much is that variability. Uh, And so I have customers tell me stories all the time where they're like, yeah, you know, we used to need to double our staff during high season. And now there's a huge surge of refinances because of the rate environment that we're in, as, as you're probably aware. And like, they had, we had a customer say that their volume is 120% and they have not added a single production staff or fulfillment staff member because they can just handle so much more volume with the staff that they have because the system is doing so much for them. And that, that's the kind of stories that get me going where I'm like, not only are we helping consumers, but the lenders who are ultimately giving this money to consumers, they're able to do things more efficiently, which means long term, which means lower cost products for
0: consumers, better experiences, and hopefully eventually more product innovation as a whole. And, and you'd hope also that you know, in through that automation and through kind of giving leverage to people at, at the lenders, that that leads to better outcomes, right, and better capital efficiency, and like how capital is moving to potential home buyers. And through that lens, I'm curious how you would look at retrospectively the financial crisis, right? And housing was obviously the driver there. Um, and there was a lot of things that went wrong, but I think transparency and data was at least one component of it. How do you think that what we're creating today or what you're creating today um, limits the likelihood that such such a systemic failure could happen in the future?
1: If you look at how the major components of manufacturing and mortgage come together, assets, income, employment, credit, um, the, the, you know, the, the house value, the house um, uh, condition, those things all matter. And what happened historically was there's this, there's, and there still is in a lot of cases, a whole chain of reps and warrants that those things are being accurately represented. And one thing that I'm proud of is this time around that data is being passed through the Fannie Mae day one certainty program, which essentially reads data from our system to give the, the, our customers, the banks, rep and warrant relief on that data, on the evaluation of that data, and then to the Freddie Mac AIM program, That's for the, these are all for assets and income verification. They're basically verifying income, assets, and employment from our system in real time as we pull that data, which means the lender doesn't have to look at it if they don't want to. There's Because the data is coming from source and not being altered by any humans, not by the consumer, not by the lender, that means that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac who are underwriting a lot of these loans as an example. they don't have to do they don't have to be worried that that data is being misrepresented by anybody. That comes directly from the employment provider or the employment system of record or the bank that's giving the asset data or the credit source that we're getting. And so like that allows us to tie the, the not, not this is another benefit of data is because data can be managed in a way that you can tell if it's been changed, if we make it immutable, it's impossible to change. The third-party sources who have to access it, like Fannie and Freddie, can access it in real time and say, is this a high-quality borrower? Is NEMA actually making $100,000 a year? Does NEMA actually have $50,000 in his bank account? And instead of just saying, yeah, I trust you, lender, which I think there's there's good things about trust, but there's bad things about trust when it's not necessary. In this case, they don't have to trust anybody. Now, I don't, I don't want to say that the crisis would have been stopped by this um, because I think that there were so many things that went into the crisis and I don't want to un- underplay all the elements of it but I think that in a world where there's free-flowing data between all the parties in this transaction and the data is immutable, then it is almost impossible for people to make um, at least misjudgments about the realities that, that exist. And so that would be a really positive change that we're making for the ecosystem. We're working with others to make for the
0: ecosystem. Yeah, and it seems like a, and also a lot of what happened was, you know, there was probably, I don't know, data incompleteness and data inaccuracy, but there's probably also data editorialization that went on meaning there were incentives for different people in the value chain to edit data to modify data to best conform to whatever their incentives were right to produce more loans or to produce more types of loans and it seems like what you're saying is that if you can go direct to the source of truth you 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 limit the vulnerability to those you know perverse incentives for for actors and in the production chain um i'm curious exactly I'm curious today, right? So we're in a very weird environment today. Um, and we're actually seeing a lot of activity, right? In housing markets. And I think that's surprised a lot of people. What are you seeing today? Like, What are you seeing on the ground in terms of mortgage production? What does that tell you about where the economy is going?
1: Well, we are seeing, obviously, we're seeing record refinance volumes because the industry is trying to fulfill a huge amount of um, demand that's coming their way from people who want to lower their rates from a year ago or two years ago or three years ago or four years ago, um, which I think I, I, I want to find ways to make that a more efficient process too, where if rates are suddenly plummeting and everybody and there's four and a half trillion dollars of loans that can be refinanced for the consumer's benefit. How do we make sure that that happens in a, in a cost effective and time effective way? That's a, that's a longer conversation, obviously. But then we are seeing a huge amount of purchase market volume happening as well, which was a surprise to me. I mean, when, when COVID first hit, we had an internal discussion about what does this mean for, for Blend and what does this mean for the housing market? And, you know, we look at MBA, Mortgage Bankers Association does their forecasts. Fannie and Freddie do their forecasts. I'm sure the Realtors Association does their forecasts. And we basically wrote off the purchase industry and we said, there's also, a, a you know, a, 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 a outlier scenario where the purchases go to basically zero. Um, Now that has not happened. In fact, it's been quite the opposite where our purchase numbers are at an all time high as well. And I think part of it also might be, and I, again, this is speculation because I haven't gone and surveyed all these consumers, but it might be because we're seeing more and more people um, anecdotally going to new locations. Like you went to a new location. Like if you had a family and kids and you wanted to house them in a new location, you might want a house to do that. Um, and if people are moving more to suburbs or moving out of the urban areas, which again, it's something that I think I see happening, but it's hard to say, cause I don't know, I think we have concrete numbers on that, or I don't have concrete numbers on that. People are going to want houses in those areas. So like some of our biggest volume States for housing, for example, for Texas are the ones that are growing the most. And the question is like, is that because people are escaping to Texas because there's so much land there? I, I don't know, but I, I would just say like, I think that there's some, there's some potentially something to, to dig deeper into there as far as extrapolating to the rest of the 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 economy um i just i'm not i don't know if i'm smart enough to extrapolate the housing trends to the whole economy i will say that housing numbers are look extremely promising so at least that's a posi- that's a positive sign that hopefully will continue and hopefully people will continue to be able to you know live the american dream and buy a house when rates are at an all time low and hopefully that'll become an
0: appreciating asset that can live in their families for for decades And do you think that psychologically, like that that physical mobility, so people like moving to another state where they're moving to Texas, they're moving to Florida, or they're moving to get more land, some of the friction uh, and some of the inhibition that people have about moving at all is like, oh my gosh, I have to sell a house. That's so painful. Then I got to find a new house. Then I got to get a mortgage on the house. Then I got to buy all this other stuff. Like there's a friction to it. Do you think that, and this is more of a philosophical question, do you think that in Lowering that consumer friction, just from a pain and inconvenience standpoint, we will actually and we should see more mobility around how people move and the places they live. Do you think that's the net effect of it?
1: Yeah, I think as we take friction out of the process, we collectively, as a as a as an industry, I should say, what's going to mean is that it's going to be cheaper to move. Um, not just in, not just cheaper to move, but also you know, I think as, as on top of that, I think as companies work more and more remote, which even if like, for example, even if Blend never goes fully remote and we always have some centralized teams for whatever reason, some, sub, some subset of our population probably will be more remote than they were before. And I'm sure that that could be true of Fifth Wall and others as well. And so as the, as the world becomes more remote, the fear of not having the ability to get a job, like it used to be that if I was gonna move to, if I'm a tech, if I'm a software engineer, I'm a software engineer. If I want if I wanted to go and move to Dallas, there's like six companies of reasonable software scale in Dallas. And it's like, what if those companies aren't won't hire me? Then I'm I'm in trouble. But now if there's like now there's hundreds of companies that are remote, even if Blend isn't, there's hundreds of companies that are remote. Now that fear of going into a market and not being able to get a job is is slowly beginning to wane as people realize that. Um, more and more of the world's going remote. Now, I don't, again, I don't know if the whole world's going to go remote or, or just parts of it, but even if it's just parts of it, it makes that fear go away. And so, so I think that, plus in combination with taking friction out of this process, which will just mean, mean costs will come out of this process um, for consumers in a big way, that's going to be a combination of factors that's going to cause so much decentralization of the entire country. Like yeah. There's all this centralization on urban areas. I mean, I would not want to be a shareholder in a big urban area right now, uh, personally.
0: Yeah. And, and to some extent, it puts jurisdictions in competition with one another, not just around businesses, but around the, the knowledge workers, right? The people that can work just by talking to a computer all day. Because, you know, it's almost like the, the cities and, and states used to court companies because they knew that when those companies moved to their jurisdiction, they got the benefit of those taxes that employment base, and all that commerce. But if instead... It's kind of like the bring your own device to work. It's bring your own location to work. If that's the direction we're headed, it might be that cities say, well, why don't you work from Google from, from Boise or from Salt Lake or from wherever you want? And that the consumer is ultimately empowered to make a location decision that's not premised on where a company is based. And like, untethering those two things has pretty profound like sociological effects, you know? Yeah, it, it's going to be, I, my, my hunch
1: is that the fallout from this is going to be 10 times worse than, not worse actually, it's just going to be 10, the world's going to be 10 times different than we think it's going to be yeah. as a result. Like yeah. people think it's just remote work, but I think the entire makeup of cities is going to completely change. Yeah. And look, we'll it'll, it'll see how it plays out, but that freedom that you're describing, that is just now beginning to exist, um, is going to have pretty profound impacts uh, over the next couple
0: decades. And I think you're almost seeing that today, right? Where people almost overestimated the impact of this in the short term, but they probably massively underestimated the impact over of it over a three to five year time horizon. Like what what the U.S. population looks like locationally, commercially, professionally, it, it could look so radically different. Um, I'm curious. You know, we talked a little bit about friction, right? The friction of getting a mortgage, and anyone who's ever bought a home gets that. It's the most important and the highest friction product. And so alleviating that friction is a huge part of alleviating, alleviating the friction of buying a house. But then there's all this other stuff. Like I remember when I got my closing statement on um, buying my house, I was like, what's this thing called title insurance? I don't want a home warranty. There's all this just other stuff that, that, that comes with. How do you think about streamlining that? Because it's almost like the consumer is in this position where, they have to interact with all these different products that they're not well-equipped to understand, but yet they, they're forced to buy them all in combination to do this thing they actually want to do, which is move into this house or this right. condo. How do you think about aggregating and streamlining those, those manifold processes? Um,
1: that's a great question. I think the, the idea that, that we would ever solve those problems, when I, when I mentioned I was talking earlier about some of the things that surprised me, one of the things that surprised me is how how much opportunity there is to, to fix things in the ecosystem on top of the things, of the lenders, like many of these products that you're talking about, like they you know, how the real estate process works, how the appraisal process works, how the title agency works, how the closer works, how the moving service happens. Like all of these th- industries are pretty big industries and are, I would say also just have a lot of opportunity to get better as, as entire industries. and And like, you know, one thing about Blend, which I think I didn't realize at the time that we would go after and, and try, try to help fix these industries with with a lot of partnerships, is, is like now that we have thirty percent of the market of the mortgage market on our platform, and growing pretty fast, it it opens up the door for us to have massive scale impact by picking one of these problems or two of these problems, having a, a small team go and do it whether it's built by or partner with some some other group of people, whatever it is. And say we're going to go fix this, and we're going to do the same. We're going to give you the resources you need. We're going to let you let you run on your own, and we're decentralizing as a company too. I don't mean physically, even. I mean just how we work. We're letting those teams run completely autonomously because we want those teams to. While they want, we want them to fit into our overall values and our overall mission, of course. But we want to have smart entrepreneurial people running those things that they can drive fast outcomes, just like we we are as an early stage company to be able to do that forever. And so, in order for us to do that. Um, we have to give those smart people a lot of leeway to go after these pretty big industries, figure out the right solution But then we as a platform have so much of the market running through our system now And that impact they can help drive by having our customer base on it and having our technology as a foundation for it It just creates so much opportunity I mean title is a good example of one where where you know You think about the mortgage process being painful the worst rated pro- part of the mortgage process is actually the closing process which is not, or in a lot of cases, not, not, ever, not with every lender. Um, but that's not even done by the mortgage company. That's done by the title agent. And so and it's not the title agent's fault either. It's like they're emailing stuff back and forth until the last minute. And then you're going signing documents that were already signed with the lender, again, with the title agent. It's just like these are just simple systems and data problems that if solved can create a massive opportunity for lenders, for title agents, for consumers. And ultimately what the consumer sees is like they show up to their closing and actually they do it over video like this. Or if they want to do it in person, it's a 15 minute closing where they're just walking through to understand the last few pieces of documentation with a human across from them, and they're picking up the keys and they're going to their house, and it becomes a celebratory event instead of like being in some dingy office or whatever. And so, so I think when, when I think about that title industry, I think about it as something that, that as an example, if we could use modern approaches to data, use modern approaches to, to bringing these things to a more modern experience like video technology, it completely changes those entire industries, and it, they're, they're overdue for it in a lot of ways. And I think that they're excited about embracing some of that technology now of, because of COVID, which has been an accelerator to those things.
0: And has it been an accelerator in the same way that it's been an accelerant to, you know, firms like Fifth Wall and Mike Blend realizing that we could actually do our business remotely? Like, if you had asked me in February, hey, what's it going to be like if tomorrow everyone had to work remotely? My, my initial reaction would have been, that's, that's going to be a disaster. Like, we can't do that, that's a disaster. But, you know, COVID thrust this outcome on all of us. We had to do it, we adapted and now it works. Is the same thing happening in, in the housing industry, in the mortgage industry? Like, is it that, you know, realtors and mortgage brokers and closing agents, they're all like, well, I gotta operate over Zoom, so I better figure out how to use digital tools that enable me to do what I used to do in person over a computer, is, is that what's happening?
1: I think what, what's happened is some combination of consumers realizing that, that they can make more decisions virtually and f- not feel like, because I think that there is a sort of, there are some old fashioned things about buying a home that make you feel like you want to go see and feel and touch the home, which many people still do. And I don't think we should stop them, but does the realtor need to be next to you when you do that is one question. Um, but then there's also things like the closing. Well, maybe I don't, actually, I didn't even think about it. I didn't want to do my, I want to do my closing over video. Mm-hmm. Six months ago, my parents, who are in their 70s, um, had never done a Zoom conference in their life. Now the Zo- now Zoom is the only way they see their friends. And if I told them six months ago, seven months ago before COVID, that um, that they could only see their friends via Zoom, they'd be like, no chance, I wanna see my friends in person. But given the circumstances, they have no choice. And it's the same thing in this industry. There's, there was a lot, historically, there's been a lot of pushback on, on modern technology from from existing people because rightfully so, people believe that many, many consumers want to have a human touch in this process and they're right. And the question is, how do we make the human touch work in a way that also works for the entire broader set of consumer desires, which not just everybody wanting to meet in person, human touch for me can be this, human touch for you might be going in person, but giving the consumers the optionality, I would say the thing that banks and lenders have embraced and title agents and everybody embraced more than anything else now has been the willingness to create the optionality for the consumer to decide how they want to work. And that's so huge because more and more consumers will get comfortable with this kind of technology over time and that'll make the products cheaper. If I don't have to meet with you in person to close your loan, you meeting with me over video is so much cheaper than you driving to my house, taking an hour of your time driving here, signing some paperwork for an hour, driving back another hour and it's like you took three hours that I could have done in 15 minutes over video with you. and so. I think that's the type of thing that it'll drive cost out of the, the ecosystem, drive friction out, and then it'll eventually make it so that consumers, to your earlier point, will be able to have the level of freedom that they uh, of being able to decide what they want for themselves, not just in what they how they close transactions, but where they even want to live and how they want to live as 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 as, as humans.
0: That's interesting to think about, because like, I think everyone in tech tends to think, well, people just don't want to talk to people; they just want to interact with a computer. And it's almost like what you're saying is the industry becomes systemically accommodative of all consumer preference. So you actually could do truly a analog closing process, should you so choose, or you could choose to interact with nobody. Um, And what's interesting is like just the corollaries there versus like the rest of that, right? Where, you know, I think about like e-commerce, like the you know, the, the first boom of e-commerce was like, well, people don't want to go to stores. They just want to buy everything online and not, and not interact with a store or a store person or a store clerk or a checkout. But that was actually wrong. You know, all the biggest omnichannel brands are saying, well, some people actually like to do that. Some people like to discover a product online and actually see it in the store so they can try it on. They want to be able to buy it online, and return in the store. It's like you have to be where the consumer is. You have to accommodate the consumer, and the consumer is many different things and as many different wants at many different periods in their life. Um, It's just interesting that the the corollary there. So yeah, I think, I think this omnichannel
1: trend and like that creating that option for the consumer to shop however they want or check out however they want or whatever we're going to call it. It's that's here to stay. And I, I don't think, I think that there's an open question as people become more distributed across the country, how, how retail Keeps up with that? I, I don't know. Honestly, I'm not super familiar with retail. You you probably know better than I would. But 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 there is this thing in my mind where I'm like, everybody now realizes they have to serve the consumer because if they don't serve the consumer, somebody else will. Yeah. Like there's competition, and competition in this case drives some people to people. People are going to be more and more forced to do business how the consumers want, and at the prices that make sense for consumers. And that's a, that's a train that is has left the station now. Yeah. So like whether or not if, if companies that are not on board, it's going to be hard for them to keep up with the companies that are coming after that.
0: And it's interesting that like, you know, the consumers in the driver's seat, the consumers calling the shots and you think about that, okay, that's kind of obvious when it comes to socks. It's kind of a little less obvious when it comes to a mortgage. Um, but what I'm hearing you say is it's actually true. Um, and that almost empowering the consumer like that um, and being able to deliver more data like digitally to the lender from them actually increases transparency and Increases the velocity of money moving into the housing market. Um, so it's interesting to think about all those synergies. Um, well, Nima, this has been really interesting. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to just share the experience of Lend. And thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's super fun to chat about this
1: stuff. And... Um yeah, excited to see where all this actually ends up going, you know, regardless of our pontifications, it's really interesting to watch from the sidelines in some ways. And in, part, parts, in parts, we get to be part of it, which is also awesome. And yeah, so appreciate it. So grateful to be part of that as well.
0: Totally. Awesome. Well, thanks, Nima.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Brendan. Have a good one.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Fly on the Wall. All of these episodes and more are available on our YouTube channel. To learn more about Fifth Wall, visit our website at www.fifthwall.com.